at Jared. We know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Happy uh, silly season, everyone. We made it. We made it, and now the long, arduous off-season begins in earnest. Yes. Actually, not that long, because, uh, well, A, we have basketball, but also... um, I think uh, Dino Baber said today that uh, spring was starting in late February. Yeah, we got late February to early April. I think April 2nd is when things wrap up. Luckily, that times out perfectly with our uh, spring practice previews, which will be starting next week. Um, So, yeah, I am dead set on turning this blog into a 100% full-time football blog, and you will never escape commentary around this team ever again. Just like the Syracuse fan base demands. You'd be surprised, to be honest. I mean, there's definitely a, a bigger uptick um, around recruiting and around basketball than there is around the, the college football regular season. But at the same time, you know, I do feel like a lot of it's just a product of Syracuse football fans just feeling completely beaten down by what's happened recently. I mean, you saw what happened when the team was, was good and when they were winning. Um, the fan base was happy to engage and happy to, to, to follow along and, and be excited. So you know what? Uh, I guess to me... Uh, I feel like, you know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna outpace demand un, until it catches up. I also think just recruiting in general has become so much bigger than even when I really started following college football in earnest. Um, I think just having like four giant sites for it and having basically what 11 hours of coverage on ESPN today and just uh, Twitter obviously I think is huge because it shows just how much the coaches focus on it and how much they're forced to focus on it. Um, so I think recruiting is just a much different animal now than it has been. And even if Syracuse isn't, you know, the most diehard football fan base compared to basketball and compared to uh, some other schools in the ACC and, and locally, um, I think the the overall interest in recruiting nationally uh, and with Syracuse has, has both risen uh, pretty significantly in recent years. No, I 100% agree. I think that's a good uh, kind of starting point, at least for our... Uh... Our conversation around Syracuse's class. Dan, we, uh, we had 20 players uh, commit today. Uh, not a ton of surprises, but um, one, maybe two, depending on your perspective today. Uh, what kind of shocked you the most uh, about, about a signing day that largely went as planned, except for maybe a couple of wrinkles? Um, I, I wouldn't say I was shocked by keeping uh, Jack Juan Nelson. Um, we've been talking about this for a little bit. Obviously, beating out Georgia for a kid is always a good thing and, and something that Syracuse fans probably, you know, I don't think it was unfair to be cynical about him going down there, um, especially being a you know, Florida kid. Um, but obviously, I, we just didn't hear much from him about the visit, about anything else. Um, just a couple random quotes here and there. So, you know, I, I think we would, I, I said it on Monday too, I think if he was in a flip, I think you would have heard it before today. Um, just because he would have wanted to get in there before Georgia, you know, maybe got in with some other kids that they were interested in late. 
Um, I know they lost a couple battles down the stretch today, so he w- probably would have won the lot down his spot. So I felt pretty decent about that. Um, as for uh, Rashawn, um, Rashad Smith, I don't. Yeah, Rashad Smith. I didn't want to like make it seem like it wasn't a big deal. Um, that was a bit of a surprise, uh, but you know, he, I think maybe he just got cold feet about leaving Florida. That's fine. No ill will or anything. Uh, you know, it's tough. I know. Um, for Syracuse, it's a little different because so many of us come from out of state or out of the area, but uh, I'm sure there are plenty of people here who are from CNY, who went to Cuse, or who are from Central New York and went to other state schools or whatever locally. You know, choosing to go far away for four years is a tough thing to do. So he, you know, got, he had made a decision and flipped back last second. Uh, I don't think it's fair to begrudge him for that at all. Um, but overall, I think we, uh, we should all be pretty pleased with the class. Um, as a whole, uh, over in the giant, and you know, in most of the college football landscape, there really weren't that many huge surprises today. Um, compared to signing days past, there were no uh, like um, letters of intent held hostage by parents. None of that fun stuff. Uh, kind of a team day uh, compared to the years, uh, the last couple of years that I've covered it. So, um, and that's fine for Syracuse because we got everyone that we were hoping to uh, enroll, and I think it's a, a nice class to build upon where, um, you know, a lesser coaching staff that didn't really have it together could have had a much uh, messier time of it. Yeah, I mean, we've seen something like that at Syracuse even just a few years ago when Schaefer took over um, the class that really didn't have a ton of time to form. Coaching staff that didn't have a ton of time to form relationships. Coaching staff that also hadn't worked together before. I mean, I think what you saw with, uh, with this class was really indicative of just how much, um, you know, Faber's staff had their shit together. Um, especially like the way, I mean, other than Reno Ferry, who was kind of an odd man out and he did, uh, he did contribute to, uh, to one commitment, but otherwise, you know, it was a lot of guys tag teaming, um, based on previous relationships and and things they'd done before. I mean, even look at, you know, the, the later hires of Mike Hart and Vincent Reynolds. Um, these were two guys that, that seemed to know Michigan, um, in particular and, and done a lot of work together at Western Michigan, so I think that was overall a positive that even when he was bringing in guys who weren't part of the Bowling Green staff, he was bringing in guys who worked together and could potentially, um, you know, help Syracuse meet some end goals when it came to came to recruiting. Um, and I think overall, like I have to give, I know Sean and I kind of hung around that B plus range in terms of really subjective recruiting rankings, but overall, like you have to really give this class, uh, this uh, staff a ton of credit uh, for what they were able to do on a dime and, you know, what um, Babers was able to kind of uh, visualize and, and, and create um, based on this staff. I think he just, I, I had a feeling when, when he started putting the staff together that there was a, a purpose and, and, and some actual targets in mind. Um, and it seems like he 100% delivered there. Yeah, and it's, you know, we've been repeating it a lot, but you, it's really hard to lose sight of. This is basically 75% of this class was, was new uh, once Babers took over. And just under half committed in one weekend, two weekends ago. So it wasn't like he had a ton of time and it wasn't like, you know, he just inherited what Schaefer had and added, added some guys from Bowling Green and, you know, wrote off the like key, did a full rebuild and he landed not quite a full class, but pretty close to a full class in essentially a month. And, um, uh, we, I talked on Monday about how, you know, you compare it to Marone's first class, which was really tiny and Schaefer's first class, which got uh, really beat up by the Marone departures and never quite recovered at the top end. 
Um, this class seems closer to like, a, I mean, this is pretty close to like the average couple classes that we've been bringing in. And the only reason it doesn't rank higher um, is because of the numbers. I, I think I saw Michael Callister actually say this is like the highest average rating that they've had in uh, since like 2005 or something. I, someone has to check me on that, but um, it's a slightly smaller class, which is why you'll see us rated in the fifties and sixties. Um, but in terms of the average player and, the average recruit, it's just as good, if not better, than what Schaefer and Murrell were able to do. And uh, I think uh, Babers touched on it well today. Um, this, you know, obviously they only have a full year. Um, he spoke very openly about going after the four and five star kids, the higher higher uh, rated recruits. Um, he spoke a lot about uh, how the recruiting efforts are going to shift in terms of uh, geography. Um, so, especially pertaining to New York and New Jersey. Uh, so. I think this next class will be the first one that we can truly judge um, because that'll be like pretty close to a full recruiting cycle. Although, you know, even then, um, obviously Schaefer had already picked up a commit for 2017 who hopefully sticks around because he's very good. Um, it takes a while for these things to get in, but 2017 and then really 2018 are going to be the, the first like true Babers classes. Yeah. And you know what? That actually brings up a good point um, around what Babers said at his press conference um, today, where, and I think that I'm surprised this didn't fuel the fire for, for some anti Babers folks, or at least Schaefer apologists more. Um, and that was, you know, Babers said because of, uh, you know, the short amount of time they had, they were really behind, that you really have to combine the 2016 and 2017 classes to, to get a good look at, um, you know, his first, you know, real test. And it's funny because I feel like we, we got after Schaefer a little bit. When he, when he would set an agenda before the media uh, was able to, to create one. Um, and with, with Babers, I'm okay with it, if only because, and I'm trying to kind of head off at the past anyone who says that's hypocritical, um, is because with Babers, um, I, I feel like it's based in a little bit more, it's not based in rhetoric, it's based in, in, in actual fact, is that he sits there and goes, look, 2016, we had to rebuild the class, we had to fix a lot in a short amount of time. Here's what we did, I'm proud of what we did, but there's a lot more to go. And I hope the people will, will, you know, hold off from rushing to judgment um, until I'm done with 2017. And to be honest, like, he didn't need to say that to me or you or a lot of other uh, media folks. I think that is almost more directed at fans who I think he's very conscious of focusing more and more on signing day and on recruiting, as you and I talked about. Um, I think, to me, 2017, I'm fine to look at 2017 without even 2016 um, involved. I think 2017 is going to be a huge uptick, and I'm, I'm, I'm very excited for what comes next. Um, but but I, I do think it's 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 savvy on his end to kind of set expectations um, for people, um, and I just hope it doesn't come off from my end or your end or anyone else's being hypocritical when when applauding what he's doing now versus hating on what Shaver was doing just a few months ago. Yeah, I mean I think the big difference there is that um, Babers this is his first class. I mean when Shaver pulled in the class of 2013 which, again, was a, a smaller class that was hurt by Marone's, uh, the Marone departures. Uh, I don't think a lot of us gave him too much crap about it. Like, we understood the context, uh, and we understand the context now. Um, and I think he was totally right. I saw, saw a couple of complaints about, you know, not being able to go out and get New York kids. But, like, I'm looking at the New York list. There's only, a t- you know, maybe a dozen kids that went to schools that are comparable or better. A lot of them, you know, you have a couple of Ohio State kids. You're not going to pry them from them. You're not going to pry Jameer Johnson, Notre Dame. Um and 
you know, he said we only had a month to really build relationships here outside of the ones we already had from Bowling Green. Uh, Bowling Green didn't recruit New York too heavily. Um, to ask Syracuse to jump in there and go steal a kid from BC when they haven't spoken to this coach ever uh, and don't know the system and don't know much about Syracuse, that's just like it's an unfair expectation. So I think um, we should be pretty happy with what we got today. Uh, I think um, the thing we haven't brought up yet is that uh, when we got Babers, I think we all kind of question how he would recruit Florida, which continues to be, you know, one of the two or three most important areas for Syracuse, if not the most important. Um, yeah, six of the 20 commits are Florida kids, which was the, by far the most. I think the second most from any state was two. So um, Nick Monroe was doing just as well, if not better, in Florida than um, George, George McDonald. McDonald. George, yeah, well, <laughs> McDonald or anyone else. Um and, and a couple of the top commits in the class are from Florida. Go uh, look at Kenneth Ruff, um, Jack Ron Nelson. Like, these are, are huge commits, um, ones with multiple um, multiple FBS and, and power program offers. Um, so I, I, the, I think the one thing that I really took away was Florida is going to continue to be a fertile recruiting ground for Syracuse and – um, I mean, Syracuse poached a kid from Miami and a kid like Ruff, who was going to Virginia, but had a ton of ACC offers. Uh, so if, uh, if this was just a sign of things to come for Monroe, um, I think Florida should just continue to get bigger for SU, which is exciting. Yeah, I mean, when you look at some of the other kids, like between Smith and Reese, uh, which could have ballooned this whole thing to eight out of 22, um, I mean... Syracuse obviously did a lot of great work in Florida, and I think like where we focused on Florida before as a portion of the class, I think Baber seems to understand intrinsically that you know Florida is you know it's such a, a quality um, in terms of talent, in terms of speed in particular, um, you know that he's willing to make that extra investment down there, and he's willing to you know not just have one guy who's a who's a Florida expert and then we get a couple Florida kids and we, we celebrate them over everybody else. I think what he's done is I mean, Monroe and, and this was something I talked about uh, when Monroe was hired is that he, he definitely had a chance um, to really hit it out of the park in Florida and you know what he, he did that and then some um, in this cycle. I mean if there's anyone who's earned a paycheck um, as much as Babers has I guess it's probably Monroe who you know on his back and obviously everybody did a great job and, 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 and they should all be commended as coaching staff but you know, Monroe really put this class on his back um, in a lot of different ways. I mean, in particular with the Florida kids, who uh, who obviously make up a you know a little over a quarter um, of the twenty kids coming in the door uh, right now. Um, moving on a little bit, um, there was kind of you know one other uh, question mark toward the end of the day was that whether or not Devon Cooper, um, you know, who uh, was a teammate of Sean Riley, who did commit. Um, was going to flip from Arizona to SU. Uh, ends up he went to Arizona. Dan, you probably weren't shocked by this, but I guess moving from that conversation is, do you think there's anybody else out there um, that we're unaware of, either um, undeclared Mac kids or, or possibly um, just JUCOs that, that Babers has been kind of back-channeling and we end up hearing about in a week? Um, we talked about it a little bit on Monday. It's uh, there's no one that I'm aware of, like particular specifically. It's it's really hard to know, um, just because it seems like most of those ton of kids that we've gotten in years past have come out of nowhere. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, there are there are scholarships to give here. 
Uh, I'm actually going to try to find out while we're on here how many scholarships we have available after today. Um, but there's no reason not to fill those, especially if it's only like a one or two year commitment. And if a kid who can come in and, and provide uh, solid depth, even if he's not like a starter right away. So I, I assume, um, I wouldn't, I, I mean, Baber said it today, like we're going to go look for kids. He joked about, you know, looking at the frat houses. Um, so if, they, I mean, if there's anyone worth throwing a scholarship at um, who can help the program, uh, especially considering the depth issues that Baber's hinted at today, uh, I think we should all be um, looking out for that because it, it shouldn't come as any surprise if we wind up, uh, if we wind up signing a kid like that or two. No, 100%. Um, I guess looking over this list, I know you're probably still digging around. I'm assuming you probably have about four spots available, max. But I'm sure we can figure that out before uh, the end of the show. Um, if you're looking at this class on offense, if there was one player in particular who stood out to you as either an immediate contributor or somebody who's going to have a, a, a very notable career uh, at Syracuse, um, who kind of jumps out at you um, immediately as that player? Um, just basically since he committed, I've been really high on Kenneth Ruff. I just, he just seems to profile as like a three-year a three year starter, if not more. I, I think he'll see the field this year in some capacity. But um, he was kind of the, the first thing that really indicated the sea change in what the defensive philosophy looked like. Um, and he just, you know, he just seems like a gamer and a, a really nice fit for the program. Um, so on defense, I'd say him and offense, I, I really like Joel Shaw. Um, we kind of saw a little bit of watching Bowling Green. Uh, they use kind of a two back system with, you know, very distinct running styles. Um, and Shaw definitely fits that power back uh, where to the point that some of the recruiting sites list him as a fullback. Um, I, I just, I, for whatever reason, just have a feeling that he's kind of a sleeper because he went to Woodlands Hill, Woodland Hills and those who follow recruiting pretty closely will know that Woodland Hills also had Miles Sanders, who is the number one running back in the class, according to 24-7. He's going to Penn State. It's a five-star kid. So they definitely weren't giving Shaw, like, the number of carries that most top running back recruits are getting. Like, he was a very situational runner for them. Um, so there's a chance that he's kind of an untapped talent who wasn't showcased um, nearly as much as he probably could have been if he went to another school. Uh, so there's a chance that we got a diamond in the rough there, although it hardly much of much rough because he was being recruited by some big schools. Um, but those are the two that stand out to me, and I think there are a couple more that uh, I'm pretty excited about. Yeah, I think to me, and I, like I, I feel like I've followed to this about the same level of intensity for the last few years at least. Um, and I've, I've been high on certain kids, but to me, there just seems like there's a there, there's a decent amount of kids here that that you can sit there and go, oh yeah, I can see him as. I can see him as well. I can see him as somebody who's going to contribute in this system, and I think that's a nice change from what we've seen. Of like, yeah, down the road he could. Um, and I mean, that, that's not to say that any of the kids on the roster now are, are, are aren't good. And to be honest, I think there's a lot of uh, quality depth, and there's a lot of quality just players in general on the roster. Even if you're just looking at the two deep, I think with with this recruiting class and future recruiting classes are going to do is help build us, you know, past that two deep. Um, for me, looking on defense first, um, I know I said this in the uh, the kind of roundtable with Sean. Uh, you know, uh, Jaquan Nelson uh, obviously uh, looks like just an absolute monster at the defensive end spot, and you know what? He's probably uh, more than just about anybody else here um, going to get playing time, significant playing time this year. 
Um, I just think he has the size um, and the speed uh, to really light it up uh, from that defensive end spot. He's incredibly athletic. Uh, it just seems to me like Nelson, um, you know, could be the next, um, and he's not the only one who could fit a mold like this, but could be the next kind of Ron Thompson type, just a super freakish athletic uh, defensive end. Um, I mean, maybe even going past Thompson, maybe even a Chandler Jones type if you really want to start you know, looking at, at, at past Syracuse players that might fit a similar mold um, on offense. Um, I have to agree with you. I think Shaw is the most glaring um, option. I, I think, you know, you're right. His stats definitely didn't indicate um, the star that he may be. I think his size is another, um, you know, big, big plus. Um, I think, you know, 6'1", 214 at, at, at 18 years old, you know, and he's already running a sub 540. This is a guy who can absolutely 100% um, improve his game and really run. I mean, like you said, we, we saw Bowling Green's offense, especially in that MAC championship game. Um, a lot of dives, and you know what? It's it's great to have speed between the tackles, but having a guy that we didn't have last year, and I think we suffered for it, um, you know, having a big back who can really burst through that middle um, is going to be huge for this team especially as we try to, you know, find other options besides, you know, feed Dungy to the Wolves as a short option, a short yardage option, excuse me. Um, just seems like that was kind of our only go-to play call um, when it came to, to, you know, third and short or second and one or whatever it was. Um, so I, I think Shaw can really plug in there and, and can really make an impact um, both both this year and in terms of his career. Um, I, I definitely wouldn't doubt seeing Shaw... Uh, Joel Shaw, you know, show up in the backfield here and there, um, especially in short yard situations. Uh, one other player who I'd want to bring up to you, um, who I think is, is well, well underrated, and I, I'm surprised nobody's really talking about him as much, is uh, McKinley Williams. Uh, you know, defensive tackle, got freakish athleticism, uh, definitely to put on a little bit of weight um, to play at, at the D-tackle position, but again, ton of speed. Uh, you know, he... So Babers tweeted about the fact that he could do a what was it like standing backflip, and then somebody found a video of it uh, later on on Twitter. I mean, this is a kid who if he puts on the weight and he can he can you know add some strength in general. Um, he could be a freak athlete, the type of guy that we talk about a few years down the road um, that you know really was uh, one of the gems of the class. Yeah, I mean, he's probably the lowest rated kid in the class, and that you know two star kids pretty much means most of the time that people didn't get a chance to see him. Um, but this is one of the nice things about going and recruiting Florida is there's athletes like this, and maybe he doesn't turn into anything, but he sits four two fifty ish He can do a standing backflip. Um, apparently the coaches sing pretty highly of him because they recruited him uh, despite the fact that he wasn't getting a ton of looks elsewhere, but they, they found him uh, going, you know, going to recruit rough um, and, you know, kind of building a pipeline at Dillard, which is always good at any of those big Florida schools. Um, so, I mean, there's a chance that he doesn't really pan out, but I think when you're Syracuse, you can take risks like that, um, especially at a kid with that, his kind of size and frame, because there just aren't that many. Like, defensive tackle is such a difficult position to recruit, probably behind a quarterback. It's it's D-tackle and, and maybe corner. Um, it's just very difficult to get good depth there. As Syracuse fans, we know that pretty well. Um so yeah, he could be a, a very interesting player, and I'm interested to see how he develops. Um, but it's telling when when a staff goes after him and seems to be very genuinely excited about him when he's not very highly touted. Obviously, they are 
very interested in what he can do and, and felt it, you know, worth their time to bring him in um, when a lot of others passed on him. So uh, I'm, I'm very interested to see. I'll probably take a red shirt. Uh, so we probably won't see him on the field for a couple of years, but um, definitely one to look out for. Yeah, I mean, that that's what, you know, shouldn't get lost in the, like, who can play immediately conversation is then who's going to benefit directly from, um, you know, taking a red shirt here. And you're going to see a few of these guys who definitely do. I think it's unlikely that we see these uh, defensive backs take a red shirt if only because we need so much help there and there's so little depth. I mean, I think it was the last two games we were maybe going with five defensive backs. Um, so it, you'll definitely see those players plugged in pretty much immediately. Um, Shaw's got an outside shot to play this year. Um, I think the offensive—I always like to see offensive line. I know you can—you probably agree here. I always like to see an offensive lineman redshirt a year. I think a, a year in, the, in a college weight room with a college nutrition plan. Um, there's just a lot that goes into it um, in, in terms of you know different reads. I mean, college is so different than the pros uh, because you know it's 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 not just the same you know two or three schemes. There's so many different schemes you need to be prepared for. Um, I think these kids are athletic enough and smart enough to do it. I just think that there's, if, you, if you're if you're playing an offensive lineman spot, you're you're better off, you know, redshirting that year. And I think we we we're now elevating uh, this coming season a bunch of kids who got to redshirt the year before, and the same was true the year before that. Um, I think in general it, it's going to be a plus to all these offensive linemen coming in, but they're 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 guys with some upside. Um, I guess I, I mentioned a little bit about the secondary um, in that blurb, but you know, Dan, do you think that that the secondary here is is addressed best? Do you think that the secondary here, um, you know, is kind of part one of two that that 2017 is really going to be where we finally get those reinforcements we've needed for about a decade now um, in terms of Syracuse's corners and safeties? Uh we'll see. I mean, secondary has kind of been an issue for so long now that I'm always kind of weary about. Uh, the guys that you bring in and, and seeing how they pan out, because there have been so many who um, just kind of haven't. Uh, although in, in recent years, I mean, we've seen like Brandon Reddish, who was kind of okay for a couple of years and then had a really, really great senior year, which was kind of wasted because of the issues of that team. But um, I think the the thing with the secondary that I'm a little interested in is that it was very safety heavy. Um, obviously, I think maybe Stu Bradshaw could be a candidate to move to Turner just because of his size and his speed. But uh, Devin Clark and Evan Foster, both bigger players. Um, so I, I like a big safety. I like guys who can go up and, and compete for balls and, and make plays. Uh, so that, those guys interest me. Um, and I think they're, they seem to be pretty good athletes. So we'll see. Um, I, I always very weary, though, because playing corner is so difficult, especially in the you know modern football. Uh, it's The rules are very slanted towards the wide receiver and the offensive players. Um, so if you get a good corner, I mean, it's, it's totally invaluable, but um, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I think a lot of this is going to be constant evaluation for Babers because he really doesn't know what he has until he sees him on the practice field and play. So um, I do expect him to kind of have a better idea of what he needs and what positions he's looking at uh, after this season or after the spring really kicks off. Yeah. And you know what? I, I think, you know, Babers is, has kind of avoided talking about uh, the current roster and current players. I mean, he, he, he said some things about Dungey here and there that I think make a lot of sense, uh, but he's largely avoided everybody else. Um, Dan, do you think there's, there's anyone in particular that, that fits better than anyone else? And that could be current players, recruits, wh- whomever. Um, 
do you think that there is there are other players that he's really going to start honing in on once uh, spring practice starts in just a couple weeks? Um, I think I mean it's it's easy to say Dungy, but I'm really excited to see what Dungy can do in this offense. Um, obviously, the Bowling Green, uh, their quarterback uh, Matt Johnson was his name, I believe, um, didn't run a ton, but I think if you watch Baylor and watch some of the other schemes where uh, Babers kind of developed this offense. Um, they don't need a running quarterback, but it really it, it adds another dimension, uh, whether it was RG3, who obviously was a ridiculous athlete, or this year after, uh, I mean, Seth Russell's a good athlete, Bryce Petty was a good athlete who didn't run that much, but um, Jared Stidham, the freshman who took over for them, uh, was very fast. Probably, I think he was the top dual-threat quarterback in last year's class, so Dungy seems to fit that profile really well, and it just so happens that he's on the team that Babers took over, which is kind of a nice accident, but uh, I'm excited for that. Um, and uh, I think uh, I, I'm just I, I think we have a, nice, a lot of nice offensive pieces that we haven't fully um, saw, seen what we can do with. Uh, I know we've talked about how the running backs on the team um, kind of fit in well with what Bowling Green did last year in terms of having a power guy like Fredericks and throwing in some more speed backs, um, maybe even Mo Neal this year if he gets to see him on the field as a true freshman. Um, but I actually think offensively, uh, the pieces at Syracuse kind of fit in fairly well, at least in the still positions. I think receiver, um, it seemed like they were going after a bunch, and, and that's really where they're going to try to address uh, a lot of the positions. But uh, And obviously offensive line needs to be rebuilt a little bit in the form that Babers wants. But um, overall, I, I Babers obviously seemed to want people to take a step back and kind of be patient with the team this year. But I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some, some flashes based on um, the talent that's already on hand. I think he's just very – he doesn't want to be quick to uh, build up expectations without actually seeing firsthand what these players can do. Yeah, I think that's fair. I know I asked him, other media members have asked if it just seems like he, he, he's going to wait on, on the talent to, to present itself to him. And you know what? I, I can't blame him there. Uh, what I'm really, really excited to see is there's obviously you know a few players that, that fit the mold of kind of the slot receiver – um, the old hybrid H-back role, um, you know, Dante Strickland or Phillips, now Mo Neal. Um, I think those players in particular, all three of them, I, I'm very, very excited to see uh, what Babers does with them. Um, but w- what I, I think was a disservice to, especially the, the first two that were, were on campus with Schaefer, um, is the fact that, um, you know, Lester's offense, and that's not a knock on Lester necessarily, just didn't use them correctly and didn't use them enough. I mean, Strickland and, and Phillips were, were averaging a ridiculous amount of uh, you know, yards per touch. Uh, both of them seemed to have a nose for the end zone, um, and, and Lester's offense just didn't seem to put them in position to score um, as often as they needed to. And I think what we're going to see with Babers, um, his attack in particular, um, I think we're going to see bubble screens. I think we're going to see a lot of them. I think it's going to be a lot to those two, and then later Mo Neal. Um, and I, I, I know that that makes me sound terrible as somebody who used them as a, a platform to, to want Jordan McDonald out of here. But, um, you know, unblocked bubble screens are different than bubble screens. Uh, dives are different than, you know, dives to nowhere. I mean, there, there's a lot of differences between you can't just you a type of play on its face without looking at uh, the blocking schemes around it, looking at uh, who has assignments where, looking at who you're giving the ball to. Um, I think if I'm excited for anyone, 
um, in this new offense is definitely uh, the, the slot receiver uh, slash H-back types, um, even if that role doesn't necessarily exist anymore in, uh, in Baver's lexicon. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think Strickland and, and Phillips are good examples too. Irv obviously had the injury issues, but was was really good in, in when he got touches and when we focused on him. And Strickland, I thought, was totally underserved. I think part of the problem was that we just weren't running very many plays, which shouldn't be an issue in the Babers offense, since we should probably expect an uptake of like 25 to 30 plays a game. Um, so way more touches to go around, which will be nice for everyone. Yep, and so I guess... Now, moving on in the backfield, quarterback, um, Rex Culpepper comes in with decent amount of hype. Obviously, that was, uh, that was muted a little bit by his uh, ACL injury. Um, do you see Culpepper having to wait until, and this might be a loaded question, do you see Culpepper having to wait until Dungy is done at Syracuse? Or do you think this is going to be a constant back and forth between the two of them as, as Culpepper challenges for playing time? Um, I hope and expect that Culpepper will redshirt this year, and I would be very surprised if Dungy got unseated by anything other than constant injuries to the head. So, um, and, that, and that's life of quarterback. I mean, obviously they transfer a lot more now, but Dungy's really, really good. I, I think we're going to find out even more so this year. Um, he has a chance to be a really special quarterback, and that has no, that's nothing to do. Uh, to knock Rex Culpepper, I think he's a chance to be really good as well. Um, but I, I don't see him being a player that is going to step in this fresh off an ACL injury and challenge for a job this year. And hopefully he'll redshirt and be fine with that. So he might just have to wait a couple of years um, just because Dungy's, I think, if stay, if he stays healthy, I think Dungy's going to be really, really good. Yeah, you know what? I, I think and this was something that, that got brought up a ton last year. Um, and, and I, I hope is, is no longer a, uh, a conversation point this year, is that how much of Lester's offensive success was Dungy freestyling um, you know, versus Lester's scheme. And I think it was more Dungy freestyling than we'd like to admit, and probably Schaefer defenders would like to admit, but I'd also say that that, that led to a, a ton of dangerous... Uh, you know, dangerous situations for Dungy in particular, um, who, you know, obviously toward the end of the season, when he's a competitor, he wanted to win, um, and, and he was put in some bad spots um, by the coaching staff and, and then sometimes by his own, um, you know, confidence in himself, and, and that doesn't mean he's obnoxious, it just means that, you know, he, he's, a quality, he's a quality player who, uh, who had the faith that he could make the play, and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I think what what Dungy and, and I think Babers kind of alluded to this today. What Dungy needs to do, um, you know, in the first few weeks is show that he has a willingness to protect himself. And I think you know Babers, I, I, I he's a fun guy, but I also see him as a as a as a guy who you know you can play by my rules or you don't play. Um, and I see him as the type that'll tell Dungy if you don't find a way to protect yourself out there, I'm going to give you as long as a leash as you want. But if you don't find a way to protect yourself, I'm going to bench you. And, and, and I, I think Dungy's smart enough, and, and just based alone on the offers he received, other than Syracuse's, um, I think he's smart enough to take that hint pretty immediately. Yeah, I mean, Babers definitely seems like a guy who knows exactly what he wants out of his program and is going to get it, like you said. So 
hopefully, uh, I mean, it seems like the two have kind of come together. Obviously, Dungey's been all over the, you know, we've seen him on Twitter with Moniel, with some of the recruits. So it seems like he's buying in. So I don't really worry too much about it. I mean, obviously, there's only so much he can do. But clearly, there were, you know, going flying through the air and leaping and getting crushed. You know, it was cool for a second when he was throwing touchdowns. But when he had, you know, two concussion, probable concussions, it wasn't so fun. So hopefully, uh, hopefully he has remedied that. And we and hopefully this offense is just built better for him, you know, because he's getting the ball out more and and, you know, playing faster that we he won't take as many of those brutal shots. Yeah, and you know, I, I think what we're going to see and should be seeing this year is, is just how, like, just how much of a passer um, Dungey is uh, versus this past year. I feel like we we got, um, you know, a, a decent look at you know how he was as a decision maker and how he was as, as a runner. I don't think we got enough out of him. Um, in terms of, you know, how he looks as a passer. And I guess for me, um, this year is going to be telling there. I mean, Babers' offense is is pretty balanced in terms of run-pass, but those runs are, are not necessarily as, as focused on, um, you know, the quarterback position. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to see, um, you know, how he develops – um, and how he, again, you know, how he progresses as a, a, a passer. Because at the end of the day, um, unless you're running an option set, which is kind of what we were last year, unfortunately, um, your your job, first and foremost, as a quarterback in, in most offenses is to pass. Yeah, and I think we saw enough downfield where I, I'm excited to see it. Um, hopefully uh hopefully we see a decent like version of it in the spring games so we don't have to wait all the way till september or august i guess indeed i mean do you think based on what we know about Babers so far do you think there's going to be a change of policy in terms of what we see with the offense and, and just scheme in the spring game or do you think that this is going to be uh, more of the same as uh, Babers doesn't want to necessarily let down uh, a fan base looking for fireworks and not necessarily seeing it as an offense is still trying to take shape. Um, I don't know that I know. I mean, I don't know that anything's been said so far, and I'm, I think he'll do what he thinks is right. But if I remember correctly, I think there was a Bowling Green beat writer who said there was a decent amount of um, access in terms of seeing practice and have letting you know a little bit out. I mean, we. You can go watch Bowling Green. I mean, that's the offense he's going to install. It'll look different based on the players that are there, but we know kind of the, the general structure of it. So hopefully he lets us in a little bit and allows um, the, the fan base to build a little bit of a excitement just via, you know, the media and, and what we're hearing rather than, you know, the last couple of years we've gone into the season really not knowing what our offense was, which is bizarre. Um, this year we kind of know, but hopefully – you know, for the people that don't follow college football as much and haven't, you know, bothered to look into what Bowling Green was, we we get a little bit more um, out there once practices roll around. And I think again, I think I saw when when he was hired. I think I remember one of their beat writers saying that he was pretty open about it. But you know, who knows? He might change now that we're in the now that he's touching the ACC or whatever. So I'm not going to get too worked up either way. He has to do what he feels comfortable with, but. You know, personally, I hope we get a, a decent peek inside well before September. No, one hundred percent agree. Um, 
So I guess looking at the Syracuse in terms of the rest of the ACC, uh, and this is kind of where you know maybe some of that um, agenda setting and, and just general you know giving them a little bit of dose of reality comes in. Um, if you average out rival scout in twenty four seven, which I understand the latter is uh, is an aggregation of, of other sites, you know Syracuse finished a, a better than recent. Um, tenth at at a fourteen. Um, so Dan, I guess, do you see that as progress? Do you think Syracuse fans will be happy with that? Um, and and where I guess is the ceiling for where Syracuse can recruit to, um, based on what you've seen so far, just this short recruiting cycle. Um, I mean, again, we really don't know what Baber's recruiting looks like. Like in its full form yet. We'll know more next year. Uh, there's no reason. I mean, if Babers really gets going, um, I'm sure SU could probably peak around the middle of the conference. We're not going to be at Florida state. Like they are a recruiting power. They're going to finish in the top three this year in pretty much every site. Uh, Clemson is, is kind of jumping up into that level of being a team that's going to put in, pull in top 10, 15 classes most years. And, I think Miami will start to do more damage. Um, this year, their class is pretty small, only 18 kids. They lost a bunch after uh, Golden was fired, but they're number three in the conference. Um, but after that, it's kind of a crapshoot. Um, Louisville is usually pretty good, UNC. Um, there's really not a ton of separation in the middle of the pack here. I'm looking at 24-7, which says it's 13th. Um, but in, it's 13th, but our higher average uh, rating, which is like an 83.08, which means nothing, but we're just going to roll with it. Um, it's higher than the Virginia. It's higher than Wake Forest. It's just under Virginia and or no, it's over Virginia. It's just under Georgia Tech and NC State. Um, so it's you know we're kind of in that range of like the ten to the nine to thirteen area. Um, and if we're in there most years, you know, as long as you're bringing, if you think coaching makes a difference, I think it's fine. Um, you don't want to be in the basement if you can avoid it. But these things. I mean, do we know what a bit, the difference between 83.08 average and a 160.06 total is versus a 163.88? Like, I, I don't think there's any way to really take away something meaningful from that. Like, you know when you have a, an Alabama class and you're bringing in, you know, five five-star players. But when you're, you know, the, fighting the difference between, like, 19 three-stars and a couple twos and 18 three-stars and four twos, like, it's, it's hard to get too worked up over the difference between, like, 10th in the ACC and 13th. They're all pretty similar. Yeah, and you know what? This is something that you and me and a lot of other people have tried to explain to folks in the comments and, and, and recruiting fanatics, or at least people that are fanatical about certain elements of recruiting. Um, and that is, like, past the past the five, four- and five-star guys, these numbers don't mean as much as you think they mean, um, and and they are largely subjective. And, and the metrics that 24-7 does a, does a very good job, just like every other uh, major recruiting site, but... Um, at the end of the day, you can't just necessarily boil these guys down to numbers when, um, you know, a, a three, I mean, just to use it, one example, a, a three-star dual threat uh, quarterback in a pro-style system isn't going to have the same impact as a three-star uh, pro-style guy. Um, and it really is a, a scheme-specific thing. Obviously, that's also on the teams um, to recruit for it. But, you know, that evaluation isn't always, um, you know, indicative of the style they end up playing into when they're in college. Um, I agree with you. I think that the middle of the pack is probably about where Syracuse can go. I mean, right now, if you if you take 10th uh, for what it's worth, they're really, I mean, 
they're not too far away from you know eighth where, where NC State hangs. And to be honest, I don't really see NC State as an elite recruiter. They're not an elite recruiter um, based on the numbers. I think they're, they're a team that largely finishes between sixth and eighth. Uh, I think most years um, when it comes to this sort of stuff. Um, and I think that that's an attainable goal. Um, Louisville still isn't recruiting at an elite level. Um, they're recruiting kind of at, at a similar level to where they were at the peak of the Big East, maybe a little bit higher. Um, the one school that I think we can aspire to be um, in the ACC, and, and I've said this before, um, if Duke, with, with their academic standards, can do what they do, and right now um, you know, they finish 31st in the Rivals uh, rankings, 33rd in the Scout, and uh, 33rd in 24-7 as well, um, if they can do what they're doing, then then you know, I mean, why not us? What? Why? I mean, obviously they have a pedigree at this point, which is insane. Uh, David Cutcliffe has is, is, is definitely made his mark on that program, but you know, Dan, do you see any reason why we can't be Duke or even a school like Pittsburgh? That yes, public, but you know, similar history to Syracuse, especially recently, um, and, and is kind of Pitt manages to have a top thirty class almost every season of late. Yeah, I mean, there are Duke and Pitt both live in far more fertile natural recruiting grounds than Syracuse does. I mean, Western PA, they have to battle Penn State, but they're bounded at some of those kids. Um, and then Duke, obviously, North Carolina has some good players. Not that there aren't other schools going to poach them. Um, Duke is just like, obviously, you, sh- you think that Syracuse should be able to do what Duke does. But this is the first time like ever Duke has done this. So they're kind of hitting the peak of their program right now. Um, and time will tell if they can sustain it. Um, I think they're also doing a really nice job of kind of selling a Stanford East thing where they're, they're not using their academics as a crutch. They're selling their academics to kids who care about that and saying, you know, you can just go all the way out West and, and even Duke, you know, it's probably not quite as hard to get into Duke for football as it is for Stanford, where they legitimately will not let kids in for football that wouldn't get in otherwise. And they're pretty much the only program that says that. I know Notre Dame promotes similar things, but it's, it's not as true for any other program as it is for Stanford. So um, I think Cutcliffe has just kind of found what works there. And it took him a, lo- a while um, because that program was such in such a bad place. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a situation, there's a universe where Syracuse can kind of find its similar uh, magic kind of uh, combination of, of selling points and, and factors and things here that will get them into that kind of competitive range it just might take a while, and hopefully Babers wins enough where uh, he is given time to find it. Um, obviously, for Duke, they were coming from even a worse place than Syracuse was. So um, that is something to aspire to. I just, I don't, also don't know that Duke will be able to sustain that forever because if they start only winning six and seven games again, you know, they'll probably fall back to the back of it too. Yeah, I agree there. And you know what? I think in general, um, you know, what Duke's been able to do, what Vandy did for a short amount of time, uh, what you're seeing Stanford do now on a very consistent basis. I mean, Stanford has been, what, one of the five to seven most consistent programs uh, in the entire country um, over the last almost 10 years now. I mean, it's pretty insane uh, what they've been able to do with those standards and with the competition up in the Pac-12 where um, it's been, you know, one of the most balanced, if not the most balanced conference in the country um, for, for several years now. I think, you know, Syracuse can't aspire to be Stanford because Stanford's in California. They can't necessarily aspire to be Duke because they're in North Carolina. But you look around the country and you see that the, the private schools are able to, to pull in plenty of talent, and, and that goes for whether or not they have you know, you know, fertile recruiting grounds or not. Um, and, and I think that 
you know, maybe maybe 30 to 35 nationally is, is stretching it right now. But if people are willing to give Babers time, and I think they should because he's got a six-year contract, so he's, he's going to get it from the university. Um, if you give Syracuse time to maybe gain five, and again, these are stupid metrics to use, but if you give Syracuse time to gain five spots one year, then the next, then the next, uh, those dividends that you're seeing in recruiting rankings are... As long as they're built on, you know, some new quality players and, and, and maybe new or established pipelines or whatever it is, you're going to see that um, start to make a difference um, in wins and losses. But again, and like Babers, I think, alluded to today, it's just going to take a little bit of time. Yeah, I mean, he has to establish the identity of the program. I think Marone was on his way to doing it, but never quite got there. I don't think Schaefer ever really came close. Def- defensively, they had it, but it kind of fell apart at a bad time. And offensively, it was just, you know, you, you never knew what the Syracuse offense was really supposed to be. Um, so hopefully Babers, we know offensively, he's going to establish an identity um, of style of play that's exciting. Like, this isn't just, you know, he says it. We've seen it. You can go look at the film from Bowling Green and from Eastern Illinois and obviously Baylor. Um, hopefully he combines that with, you know, Syracuse, as we all uh, know and love and, you know, try to uh, – promote like it's a good degree it's it's a very good school has a lot of great programs so hopefully he combines these things and and there becomes this overarching uh thing that Syracuse football becomes it's a private school um it has this very defined fast-paced fun offense that people want to play in it has these really good programs that attract certain kids hopefully we can actually get kids in those programs and not just you know sell, sell them something that they're not going to get but that's you know a discussion for another time um and that's when you really start to see something rolling like what Duke has. I mean, you know what Duke is. The top offense is a very defined thing. Um, he's put out some really good players. He, you know, was a, a minute from beating uh, Johnny Manziel in a major bowl game. Like Duke has a Duke football has a feel to it that it never did before. And that's kind of what Babers has to get. Um, and I think Babers is a candidate to accomplish that because at least on the football half, he was doing it at Bowling Green very quickly. Yeah, you know, I think you're right. I think Bowling Green has, I mean, people are just kind of used to Bowling Green being a quality program, and to the most part they are um, in terms of MAC history, but, um, you know, Syracuse's history is not something you can just scoff at, and while many do, it's mostly because we're so far removed from it. I think that, you know, a couple seasons, again, if, if you give him time, Syracuse can grow into something big. I guess kind of closing out, um, Dan, what do you think we're we're discussing here in a year? I mean, what's uh, as far as you know what happened during the 2016 season? Maybe some recruiting gains. I mean, play, they get very very much shot in the dark. What do you think we're we're doing a year from now on on a podcast similar to, if not exactly like this? Um, I, I think we'll see incremental progress. I, I think. Obviously, Babers was very clear that he didn't expect, you know, some giant jump in wins next year. But maybe, you know, hopefully we can contend for a bowl, maybe make a low-level bowl. I think we'd all take that. Um, and hopefully, uh, with a year of recruiting here, um, we see a lot of these holes that we have in the program filled. Um, I'm really willing to take Babers at his word and kind of follow, because what he says, you know, has all been very fair and makes a lot of sense, like combining these two classes as like the baseline for what the Syracuse program will be under him. Um, so I, I don't think we're going to turn into some like top 40 program powerhouse overnight. 
but I think we'll have a much more appealing style of play. I think because we'll kind of know the direction of the program, we'll all kind of be able to give him the benefit of the doubt, even if there are some uh, games that you know are lost in heart-wrenching fashion or something. It's not going to be because, oh my God, what's this offense? It's going to be because the offense wasn't quite good enough yet, but we kind of see where it's going. And then hopefully the recruiting follows. Um, Syracuse is never going to be, like, it's just there's there too many obstacles to make it a, like, a top 15 year-on-year thing. But if they steadily improve um, year over year, like you were saying, and just kind of gradually move up and start to challenge more for four-star players and then grab one or two of them and then start to build from there, there's no reason why we can't find, like, a nice ground where Syracuse builds itself on and, and then start to look forward to, you know, breakout seasons, which is like the next step. Like you, you want to make bowls every year and then you want to start challenging for bigger. No, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, what I think a lot of fans, that's why there was such a disconnect between, um, you know, the, the Marone era and the Schaefer era is that Marone's, you know, especially the 2012 team took that step. They took the next step as they were challenging any team they faced um, they arguably, if they had had their their shit together on offense to start the season, you know, could have won ten games, could have played the Orange Bowl. Like, there's that's things that all of us are reminded of, and you can either view it fondly or painfully, however you need to. Um, Marone pulled it off in four years and starting from scratch. Um, Babers is starting from scratch in a different way. I don't think he's rock rock bottom. I think there are pieces in place that he can use right away. Um, so I think he, there's a different standard, maybe a different. Um, you know, kind of process there. But um, Babers has every opportunity here um, to, to do that. And if we're willing to give him the shot incrementally that we gave to Marone, um, I, th- I think there's a, there's a very, very good chance that we see, that we see top 40 results. And you know what? I don't want to say that, that Syracuse's days in the top 25 are gone. I don't think they are 100%, but... I, I think if you put a, a realistic ceiling on a year-to-year basis as a, a top 40 program with, with eight or nine wins, I don't really see that as a bad station in life when there's a lot of programs, us included right now, that would probably kill for that. Yeah, and I'd say that Babers is lucky that he's taking over for Schaefer and not for G-Rob. I think, you know, Schaefer we all had major issues with, but I think he did some things really well, and he definitely left this place in a in better shape than where Marone inherited it. So, um, if Babers is you know Marone's equal uh, in terms of just ability to rebuild a program from where you know he's starting, we're in much better shape I think than we were in 2009 when we had 13 kids coming into the class, and you know we're going to play most of that season with like 70 scholarship players maybe. No, I think that's a, that's a great great point. Um... So yeah, I think it's a good place to close. Um, I think we, for the most part, really, uh, really kind of covered all bases here um, in terms of signing day, Dan. Unless you think uh, there's anything we left out. No, it was a pretty. No, it was a pretty. Uh, no, I mean, you had a kid who jumped out of a plane to commit to Ole Miss and some other stuff, but really, kind of like I said earlier, like kind of a reserve signing day compared to how crazy this day usually is, which was fine. I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on, but nothing too like. Nothing that made you feel bad for kids based on things or or uh, nothing too like wild in terms of last-minute flips. So um, pretty low-level of drama nationally. And with Syracuse, obviously, we had one flip away. We had one kid stay in, which was nice. Um, but overall, I think you have to be pretty content. If you're not, Even if you're not like overly excited or you're choosing to stay um, kind of uh, cynical or, or darted when it comes to the Babers era, 
I don't think today was a failure by any means. I think you have to at least be like pretty happy with how things turned yeah, out. Yeah, and I, for one, am, and I think most of the staff would agree. Um, Dan, thanks as always for joining, especially twice this week. Much appreciated. We got all this content going. Yes, enjoy our hashtag content. That was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everyone, as always, for listening to Troy Noons is an absolute podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk Radio, and uh, yeah, go orange. Don't tweet at recruits. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. The all-new Toyota RAV4 asks, what if? What if your ride was refined and rugged at the same time? Introducing a car that's got style and substance to spare. The all-new RAV4 Limited, featuring a sophisticated, muscular new exterior and available options like a premium JBL audio system and panoramic roof. The all-new RAV4 Limited. Toyota, let's go places. JBL and Clarifier, registered trademarks of Harman International Industries Incorporated.